Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Heroku in the Wild series. Hello and welcome back to Codish, a podcast about technology of all sorts and developers and uh, helping helping you learn from, from other developers. Uh, today we've got Ryan Townsend from Shift Commerce. He's the CTO of Shift Commerce. And uh, he's actually in town in San Francisco today because um, he was at Perf Matters, speaking at Perf Matters, uh, a conference in Redwood or in the Bay Area here uh, about, about performance, one of his uh, passions. In, in life in general or technology life is is web web performance is that right yeah absolutely what was the topic of your your talk um, so I was speaking about third parties uh, bundling other things onto your website um, and the impact that they have how you can mitigate against the the kind of downsides and the latency they add the, yeah. the extra bandwidth you have to pull down just to load a web page um, so anytime people have experienced slow sites you know these are often a common cause. So um, it was a semi-technical talk um, about how to mitigate against those. Right. I was just saying, or we were just talking about, um, uh, I was just on a plane last night for, for a few hours and got on the airplane Wi-Fi, which of course is um, high latency and low bandwidth. And um, I was waiting for websites to load. I will not name name the sites, but certain you know big, big brand websites loading. And uh, I see all these different domains that that assets or different things are being loaded from. And, um, you know, we we as developers tend to be spoiled because we have fast Internet connections. Generally, I have, for instance, gigabit fiber at home just because I like it and I want yeah. fast Internet. I don't, I don't need a thousand well, you can get it, why not? megabits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I pay, you know, pay extra for that. But. Uh, it's great, and I'm a nerd. <laughs> but anyway, but 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 it's easy for me to ignore uh, performance when I'm building building front ends. Uh, so anyway, it was just uh, it kind of hit home last night on the plane when things were taking forever to load. And then you go to like a super super simple website, like I don't know, just go to example.com for instance. It's just like the canonical blank website or or basic website, and it's just text, and it's great, just HTML. Um, yeah, I think. Performance is one of those interesting things because a lot of people think, oh, you know, it's it's a problem for emerging markets where you don't have, you know, the latest iPhones and you've not got 4G, all this kind of stuff. But there's plenty of circumstances where, you know, you're out in the sticks on a on a train or something or you're up in the air and on Wi-Fi. Right. And yeah. everyone experiences this. You know, it could just be that, you know, your cell provider saying, hey, you've got 4G. You know, I've experienced this out in Redwood. Yeah. You know, it was saying, oh, good, good 4G signal. But the bandwidth on it was terrible. There was yeah. really bad latency. Everything was a nightmare to load. Right. So everyone experiences this. And there's there's a lot of revenue to be made if, you, you know, if you've got a company that makes money online, you know, a lot of my clients are in e-commerce, um, you know, there's a lot of money to be made by optimizing for those circumstances and, and kind of reducing the amount of bandwidth, reducing the amount of requests and all these other um, factors that, that make websites slow. Yeah, makes sense. And I forgot to uh, allow you to introduce yourself. Um, you just said you do you do e-commerce or shift commerce does e-commerce. So give us a quick intro of who you are and what you do and, and where you work. Sure. Um, so I'm the CTO of Shift Commerce. We're a company based out of Leeds in North England. Um, a lot of people have heard of the Leeds United Football Club. 
Um, and what we do is we build uh, an e-commerce platform. Um, it's designed for kind of ambitious retailers who want to really grow um, and have hit limitations of other platforms. Um, you know, they, they don't want to maintain their own thing, you know, have like a copy of a PHP, well-known PHP project running. Yeah. Um, or, you know, um, they've, they've kind of hit the limits of, of a lot of the hosted solutions. Um, and we want to provide a lot more flexibility and a lot more scalability to grow as a business um, on our platform. So that's kind of the target market for us is is kind of, you know, established businesses that are looking to grow up to enterprise scale um, or people are just outright ambitious. You know, they're backed by someone who's putting a lot of cash in and they just want to really scale very, very quickly. And they don't want to have to re-platform in the middle of that, that yeah. process. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, they don't have to, they don't want to. They don't have to replatform. They don't have to worry about that like layer and below. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, they where they you know provide value is in the products that they sell and the customer service that they provide, um, and it's not in you know building out technology to just to support the the normal kind of e-commerce stuff. So we just take away all of that headache, um, and uh, we provide a, an API based platform. Um, so people can kind of integrate with it in a whole variety of ways. It's all hosted on Heroku. So that's yeah, that cool. makes sense. So but, let's yeah. yeah, let's talk about that. It's it's uh it's interesting because you are providing, you're building and providing a SaaS right software as a service on top of Heroku, yeah. which is a PaaS platform as a service. Um, and so you know Heroku thinks about lots of multi-tenant things for our customers. Um, there are a lot of things we think about like security and um, noisy neighbor and performance and things like that. But how has Shift Commerce or how have you thought about providing a multi-tenant SaaS with the the tools that, that Heroku provides? Sure. So there's, there's kind of two layers that we've built. Um, as I mentioned, we're an API-based platform. Um, so effectively, each client has their own front-end code um, that is deployed separate to that. Um, so we've we've kind of wrapped up your API in the background, allowing people to just throw zip file of code at us. You know the latest version. The Heroku. So you the Heroku platform API. So you have yes. like a like a proxy API that's like a subset and and secure functionality or secure layer between your customer yeah. and the Heroku API. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. What we do is um, a client obviously has an account on our platform and they can load it with all their products and everything like that. And we manage the APIs that distribute that um, that data um, and allow people to do things like, you know, add things to cart, remove from cart, you know, check out all the kind of usual e-com stuff. Yep. Um, and um, that's all one kind of shared application. Um, we have a lot of um, safeguards in place for things like performance, you know, noisy neighbors. You, you mentioned Heroku have to deal with. We, we have the same situation. Um, so we all we have loads of safeguards around that, things like rate limiting, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, we've got to care about the security of that data. So we've done some things with um, Postgres to, to help kind of segregate that data and make sure that obviously it's not going to cross-pollinate. Um, but, um, but ultimately, um, one of the best kind of decisions we appear to have made is um, separating out that front end. So because it's just a platform that we kind of keep as one application, um, people can upload their own front end code that gets deployed as its own Heroku application. Oh, okay. Um, so it, that can be independently scaled. Yeah. Um, obviously, a portion like if 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 someone gets a ton of traffic through, that's going to put a ton of traffic through to our API as well. But yeah. the front end bears the brunt of of that 
and it can be scaled completely independently of other clients of our platform. Um, You know, and we avoid that noisy neighbor situation because Heroku have already taken care of that for us. Right. Uh, If I were a customer, can I upload anything from like a PHP front end to my like static React front end or something like that? Anything that Heroku supports. Okay. So it's pretty much, you guys support pretty much everything but .NET, right? Right. Yeah, totally. Anything that can run on a Linux box. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we can support any of those and it's just to, you know, throw us a zip file or integrate with a GitHub repo and then you can do all the review apps and all that kind of stuff that you you guys offer. So we have that full workflow built inside our platform in terms of, you know, um, deploying a pre-release environment and then you can push that into staging and then you know when you're happy with it you've QA'd it yep. we set up a temporary domain for all of these environments and secure them down yep. um, so that way people can't just access them from the public Right. Um, and then when you're happy with it you promote into production and it's just effectively that kind of view layer in front of your data Right. Um, so that way when you're testing in those pre-release environments you can test with the real data mm-hmm. so it's not okay. like the traditional setup where you know you're your pre-release environment, whether it be, you call it staging or UAT or whatever it may be, right, yeah. gets completely out of sync with production. Yeah. Um, you know, and you're like, oh, we tested all of this, but it, the data was very different. Yeah. Um, so then, data or, yeah. 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 You get into production and suddenly it's, it's all crashing. So yep. we wanted to try and prevent that. So that way, yeah, you're reading from your production data set, but, and you can create um, orders and they'll just flag as test orders and things like that. But you can use that single data source to actually test new front ends because they're effectively um, stateless. Yeah. It's just an application on the you know that is reading from that API. That it sounds have great. A database or anything. It seems like I mean this is uh, you you are specifically serving e-commerce customers, but it seems like a lot of the stuff that that you've created could be extended, maybe changed yeah. slightly, but could be extended to non-e-commerce or other other uh, industries. Yeah, in some ways, it's not just a SaaS you've created, but it's almost like you've created a kind of e-commerce specific platform um, on top of a Heroku, a more generic platform, which is which yeah. is Heroku. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it can be applied to anyone who's you know building any f- form of like custom front end, um, and that could be you know an actual website, you know something public, or it could be like an application um, that's just internal. Um, you know, if you're building a web application, if you want to have that you know, provide that generic service um, where you add value because you, you've got the network effect of building a feature once, then every client gets it. Right. But at the same time, you want to add that degree of freedom and, and flexibility in there. Um, having the kind of dual layer approach of having you, you have this generic platform, you have one copy of it, you're hosting it once, yeah. you've got one thing to care about, yeah. and then you have individual little front end applications off the off the side of it. Right. Um, you know, that provides that kind of ultimate freedom for clients to do whatever they want. You know, the great thing that we can offer because they are so isolated is that clients can actually, if there's a limitation with our platform, we don't ever want someone to choose, you know, avoid choosing us because they're like, oh, we love everything you do, but there's this one thing that you don't do that we need. Yeah. Um, so in, in that circumstance, we can just say, hey, we'll find you another, we'll help find you another partner, yep. or if you've already got one, you, and you can just integrate that into your front end. So right. those are just you know, API calls going out to another service or it could be a third-party JavaScript thing or whatever it may be, you have full freedom to do whatever you want and we know that you're not going to, 
you know, have security issues because it's not our platform executing some sort of third-party code or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's isolated to that single front-end app, and only that customer yeah. um, can can see that stuff. So, yeah. Um, you know that that means that you know people can can go far beyond us as well. You know, if they if they accelerate faster than our roadmap in one area, they can swap out one of our APIs for another API and yeah. you know keep going. Is it would an example of one of those be like? Um, uh, an email service or like image manipulation service or absolutely yeah yeah sending text messages or something like that is that absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. we don't we don't have any native function in our platform to send text messages so if you yeah. wanted to do that there'd be numerous ways that you can do that you could do that at the integration layer so if it's like we have loads of webhooks that get spat out of our platform so you could right. hook into that you could like hook um, into Twilio really easily or something like that if you exactly to. yeah okay yeah um, but uh, yeah, so you could do that either in the integration layer or you could do that in your front end. So if it's just a case of, you know, you click a button and it sends a text message for whatever reason, yeah, right. then you could have that. Know. Order updates or something. Or exactly. Or I want to know like when a flash sale starts or something like that. Right? Yeah. Actually, so speaking of flash sale, like my perception, let me know if this is wrong, but my perception of retail e-commerce is, is um, that the traffic is very spiky. It's, yeah. it's normal for the traffic to be very spiky. Um, how have you have you guys had to do anything different or, or think about that or do you just kind of like uh, Heroku absorbs that and I just scale up when we need to or um, <laughs> how's that how's that impacted your your architecture? Um, so the challenge that we've had with that is the database layer. Like we can throw so many application uh, dynos at it. Um, you know, Heroku will just keep scaling as far as we need it to. We just keep paying a little bit more money. And the great thing is that you're really paying for when you're using it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that means that we can keep our costs really low. Black Friday comes around and, you know, everyone's hammering the web and we don't really see any issue there, which is great. Um, in fact, in the UK, we had a, um, someone had done a, a, it was an independent company that had produced a dashboard of all the top retailers. Um, and some of our clients were on there. And they, had, they even had like the likes of Apple on there, Amazon on there. It wasn't just purely UK uh, retailers. It was global businesses that had like a UK arm as well. Yeah. Um, so they were pinging all of these sites and checking the performance of them all. Yeah. Our the, the clients that we had on there were the top performing sites through Black Friday. They had zero downtime. Yeah. You can see all these other, you know, massive retailers just toppling. Yeah. Um, you know, like dominoes. And, yeah, totally. Um, spiky, and, spiky traffic in general is like... Is a hard problem to handle for yeah. for developers. I feel like because it's it's um, you're either wasting resources if you're just keeping this huge like Slack pool or this huge capacity around all the time, yeah. Um, or your customers are getting 500 errors or something like that if yeah. if um, you don't have enough capacity um, or rate limited errors or whatever it is if you don't have enough capacity. So um, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I can see. I mean. I, I don't know how to deal with that very well or architect for that very well, um, but that's pretty cool. Your yeah. your passion for performance um, is clearly like rubbed off in, in shift commerce also. Yeah, it's one of those things that is, is kind of easy as a nerdy guy to get into because it's very technical, but then as a kind of business owner, it's there's the kind of... Um, empathetic or sympathetic side yeah where it's like your the effect that you have on that performance actually affects 
how people interact at the end of the day with your your products. Yeah. You know, if things are nice and fast, everyone's happy. Yep. You know, obviously when things get slow or stop working altogether, people get angry, you know. Yeah. So, you, you know, you can connect to that human emotion as well. It's not just a pure numbers game where you're like, oh, we got 10 milliseconds faster last week. Yeah. Great. Right, <laughs> um, right. You know. Totally. Yeah, um, I had lots of, last night, I had lots of anger and lots of like, Chris, it's okay. Just take a deep breath. Like, <laughs> that's how the internet is on planes these days. It even it like affected me, my like my headspace and my ability to focus because it was so slow sometimes I had to open up two tabs so that I had like two tasks running in parallel effectively. I was, you know, like yeah. um, doing one thing on uh, a hotel booking or travel booking website and then doing something else on Google Docs or something like that. Yeah. And um, I would just switch back and forth between them and it was just kind of like uh, fatiguing after a while. Yeah, so, you lose that, you know, if you have to switch contacts, yeah. you're going to lose, you know, your train of thought and your focus. So yeah, it just left me frustrated. <laughs> um, let's see, we've discussed um, scaling and performance a little bit. What about now like re- reliability, uh, durability, having B2B customers or, or having businesses that are your customers, you know, they are losing money if their site goes down or their shopping cart service goes down or their inventory service goes down. What are the uh, kind of the architectures or the things you think about when building in a way that kind of requires high availability? So this is a really important thing for me, um, not just for my clients, but because I don't want to be woken up in the middle of the night. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, the, the main thing for us is that, you know, we use kind of very mature technology. We're not kind of archaic. Um, but we're not throwing around bleeding edge technologies because it's like interesting and fun and everyone wants to use the latest, greatest thing. Yeah. You know, just evaluating things carefully. Right. Um, obviously, the, there's going to be the best tool for the job. So, yeah. You know, kind of. What's an example? So, like, do you use GraphQL? Is that like the, the new hotness still or is that like more mature now, would you say? Um, I'd say that's coming into maturity. There's a few big companies who've implemented it. Mm. So that's something that we're now considering and, and, okay. and looking forward to using, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're not using that today. Okay. You know, we could have seen the original announcement and been like, yeah, let's switch everything over. Right. Switch everything um, from like REST, JSON-based, yeah. HTTP to GraphQL. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you didn't jump yeah. on that bandwagon right away? No, but similarly, you know, we're not using SOAP or XML or anything like that. We're right. not kind of using really old school stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got to be kind of practical with it. So it's like, it's kind of like using mature technology on top of somewhat more boring architecture, you know, more straightforward, um, you know, system architecture. Because um, that's, you know, if you start using kind of crazy things then that's where it all starts to fall apart. You know, the nice thing is that we can, you know, because we've built on top of a platform as a service, you know, um, Heroku, we can kind of abstract that from ourselves. So we don't have to worry about the underlying, you know, whether it's things like Docker and Kubernetes and all the other kind of things. We don't have to worry about any of that. Um, so when the latest, greatest thing comes along, it's not even a temptation to say, oh, we should go and use that. Right. Um, it's more of the kind of application side of things that we focus on. Yeah. I um, mean, you know, ultimately, you know, relying on a service that has, you know, regardless of what platform as a service you choose, you know, the idea is that they're going to be far brighter and have far more resource in that specific area around managing the infrastructure than you'd have internally. Right, yeah, so they've I'd, specialized in providing this service, whether it's Heroku Postgres or a exactly. runtime yeah. uh, 
for thousands of customers. Exactly. Whereas hopefully you can hire great people and you do have great people, but they may not have the same experience that like Heroku may in their runtime, managing their runtime or their databases. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it happens up and down the stack. You have, you know, we're relying on you guys for your expertise. Um, and then the idea is that, you know, if you if you have some sort of problem, we know, we know that you guys are jumping on it and there's, mm-hmm. you know, potentially, you know, a wider impact. So, you know, you're going to throw loads of resource at it, more resource than we would have to deal with those infrastructure problems. You know, if we had an internal team of, a, you know, a handful of people, it's a fraction of what Heroku could throw at, you know, the, the infrastructure. Right. Um, so, you know, it's the same thing for our clients. You know, they are relying on us. You know, if we have a problem that's widespread, they know that we're going to throw our whole team at solving that problem and fixing it. Um, you know, so we'll get it done quicker and more efficiently than if they had an internal team that would be a fraction of the size, potentially less skilled and so on. Yeah. So, you know, you're kind of relying on the the, the kind of third party being the the expert in the area yeah. and, and and their focus on that uh, means that they're ultimately just going to have more resource. So it makes yeah. complete sense. Yeah. So for multi-tenant at the platform layer and below, there's like durability and kind of, I'll put finger quote, high availability because that, mm-hmm. I know that has like a real definition that you have to think about in a, in a multi-tenant environment. Um, well, let's just let's talk about monitoring, for instance. Like how do you think about um, or handle monitoring so that you know when when customers are growing or scaling uh, or going up and down, what what do you do for monitoring or how do, how do you manage monitoring, and then how do you use that also to like uh, think about durability and reliability? We have a, a load of logs coming out of things like New Relic, a load of monitoring on on that front, and effectively it's just a case of looking at the overall load on the platform, knowing how far you can go. Um, you know, the wonderful thing is, you know, these days a lot of things are auto scaled, so that's kind of somewhat taken care of for for you. But um, you know, there are hard limits in terms of things like databases because you have a finite number of connections. So you can only scale your service so far before your database is gonna be restricted there or the IO within that database. So yeah. you can add more replicas. Yeah. Um, but you can't, you know, just infinitely um, scale that without thinking about it very carefully it's not something you can do on the fly yeah um so what are, are the do you know what the indicators are that you use for for databases is it like is it io or uh yeah it's primarily io um but then we monitor at other levels as well in terms of how the the, the volumes that each client's putting through and things like that so mm-hmm. we have okay. rate limiting in place and things like that but that's more of like catching the problem, yeah. you know, once it's already kind of, uh, you know, for that given client, you know, they might be right. um, catching the problem like right as it's happening, as opposed to planning for it ahead of time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, what we look for is spikes across the board yeah. on top of that as well. So, you know, if we get a kind of perfect storm scenario where, you know, all the clients are getting hammered. Yeah then you know we need to be aware of that and right. so we look at overall volumes as well as per client yep um, what about on on compute like for like your software running on a CPU what sort of indicators do you use for to understand load and understand like what is the capacity what's the the high water line I guess for your your software and when do you start like being like okay we need to scale this even more horizontally Compute is somewhere where we can auto scale. Mm. Um, so effectively, we are monitoring the the CPU usage 
within each of those nodes yeah um, or dinos yeah um, and we effectively scale up when we need to on that um, we've designed our platform to be able to do 10 times what the, the total of our clients revenue could be yeah um, and that's taking measurements out of Black Friday peak yeah. hour so it's a it's a pretty big um, number yeah so we've got kind of that we know that the high end of our ultimate scalability is is way more than any client could ever right achieve right um, even if all of them coalesce together yeah um, what is that isn't there some stat I don't know if it's from Google or Amazon that was like every every second our site is down we're losing like $10 million or something like that. I think it was Amazon. Do you yeah. remember that? Or did I mean, you that must be that? an enormous volume yeah. of cash yeah. for Amazon. Oh, it wasn't sure. as... There, maybe there were two different ones. There was one that was like, every second our site is down, we're losing X number of dollars. But then there was also a, um, a latency number. So maybe this yes. is getting back to performance yeah. uh, or things. But yeah, there was the, like, the, every like 100 milliseconds, you lose 10% of your users or something like that. Do you remember what the number or statistic was there? Um, I believe the figure was for every 100 milliseconds of latency on a web page they saw um, conversion drop by one percent of their overall conversion rate okay. so if their conversion rate was five percent it wasn't going down to four it was, it was one percent of that five yeah, okay. but ultimately that's a huge right volume i mean that's a really old i think that case study is like 10 years old now but there's yeah. far more um, that have come out since um there's a fantastic website called uh, w, uh, WPOStats.com okay. um, or Web Performance Optimization Stats.com. It's in, yep. you know, if you um, took out the algorithm. Yeah. Algorithm? Took acronym? Out, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Acronym, yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, on, on this website, you can um, you can see loads of case studies on this, uh, on the facts of, you know, latency and things like that affecting yeah. conversion, bounce rate, all these different metrics. Oh, interesting. Um, so there's a big one by Google recently, um, probably the past two, three years, um, where they f they were doing some analysis through their DoubleClick um, ad platform. Yep. Um, and they found that if a mobile website takes more than three seconds to load, um, over 50% of mobile users would bounce away. Yeah. So... You know, a lot of websites do take longer than that. Yeah. Um, I did some analysis in the UK recently of different retailers. Um, and just on a normal day, this wasn't, you know, under stress. It wasn't Black Friday or anything like that. And um, I think the figure came out at something like 40% of these massive retailers, um, their websites just on a daily basis took longer than three seconds. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we're talking... On a mobile device. Yeah, on yeah. a mobile device. On yeah. I was looking at, I think it was 3G and 4G. Yeah. Um, so we're talking, they're throwing away so much revenue. It's a big hidden problem. Yeah. And a lot of the problem comes because they'll be tracking things like bounce rate through their analytics suites. Yeah. But if you can't get to that analytics suite in the first place... Yeah. You know, that needs to trigger and record the fact that someone was there before they bounced away. Yeah. If you're missing that data because the analytics script never loaded, right, then you don't know how high that bounce rate is. Right, your number is going to be artificially deflated. Yeah, because yeah, right, you're you're they're not going to even be counted because they didn't even show up. Yeah, yeah. So I think web performance is a far bigger problem than people make out, and it's it's a combination of front end concerns and server side as well. Obviously, right, nothing can be loaded on a web page until you get the HTML for it, right? Right. Um, so there's a lot of optimization that can happen after that. In fact, like something like 90% of the load, 
you know, is is after that HTML response. Right. Um, so you know, there's a lot of low hanging fruit there. But if you do have a slow website, yeah. For, in terms of the server side and generating that HTML, then that has a huge impact because nothing can load yeah. until that's happened. Yeah, that's interesting. It's like when when a when a page begins to load or when the first like little bit of something appears on a page, if it takes just anecdotally, if it takes a long time for the rest of it to show up, I get frustrated. Yeah. Um, but it seems like it's almost like a different frustration than if it's just like if it's spinning and nothing has showed up because the server is still doing something and hasn't responded yeah. with the, the, the full HTML yet. Um, that's like a different frustration for me for some reason. I don't know why. It's like you've tempted me with a little bit of text or like yeah. a little bit of HTML or something has shown up, but but now you're not giving me any more. <laughs> um, so I'm like waiting for it. But when nothing has shown up, I'm kind of like, all right, it's just spinning. I'll wait a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that is a normal reaction or just me because I'm thinking about like, oh, is that on the server or is that in the browser or is that because <laughs> it's going out to Google Analytics and like Segment and all these other services to do tracking? Um, yeah, So, but it seems like the worlds of kind of performance and durability and reliability all kind of overlap somewhere in the middle where performance doesn't doesn't matter if you can't like your servers can't handle the the spike or the peak of traffic that's coming from some flash sale or black friday or whatever it is absolutely yeah i mean it's it all they're all related because it comes ultimately comes yeah. back down to your customer experience yeah you know, that's the that makes sense the nice thing about these kinds of um metrics and things that we have to deal with is that it, whilst they're nerdy and you're talking about milliseconds here yeah. and optimizing this there and whatever it may be, um, ultimately all of that stuff has an impact on the customers at the end of the day. Right. So that's what you can bring it back into like the real world. Right. Yeah, um, that's a good way to think about it. It's always like sometimes it's easy, like you said, to get too focused on like all these little metrics or the names for different um, different ways of measuring performance or durability or reliability, but really the thing that matters, the only thing that matters at the end is user experience or customer experience. Yeah. That is if you are making a service where the the human or the customer is the end point or the end user of it and not a robot, I guess. There was a, um, there was a talk at the conference that I just spoke at um, by a guy called Nathan Bauer of the Zillow Group. Okay. Um, and he was showing how in their company they've mapped um, performance metrics and, and, and kind of the response time um, to different kind of feelings. So rather than it just yeah, being like, cool. oh, you know, the median customer gets, you know, it, the response time is X milliseconds and things like that. They've changed it to, um, I think it's happy um, and then like frustrated and, or like delighted. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I can't remember the average one, and then angry. Yeah. Um, so uh, like delighted, it, content, and angry, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So you know that way you're bringing it back to that that human level. Yeah. You know, and everyone buys into that. Like, oh, what what do you mean we're making five percent of our customers angry? Yeah. Because it's all about that long tail. Right. Where, you know, you can have a great median response time, or you know, uptime, or whatever it may be. Yeah. That you're monitoring. Um, but for the long tail of customers, that's what you got to think about is, is, you know, what are they experiencing? Right. So if they're all angry, then it's not great. Right. 
that almost seems like a more inspiring and motivating thing for like me as I'd say I was a developer building, you know, this this software for the customer. If you tell me that like it takes 1500 milliseconds to load or 3000 or whatever it is, my response is like, well, what does that mean? Like, is that good? Is it bad? Like relative to what? How do I measure yeah. that? But when you say, if you say to the, the, the developer, like, oh, we have data that says that 30% of our users are frustrated or angry after they use our website, it puts you into action. It still would be useful to have numbers as goals to aim yeah. for, to be like, okay, I know they are frustrated when they get a 3000 milliseconds response time or something like that. Yeah, it's got to be mapped back to something you can actually action. Right, so then I can like, yeah, exactly, figure out the work I need to do to get it down to, you know, less than a thousand or something like that, whatever my goal is. Yeah, but like this relates to the whole kind of perception of time by human beings. Yeah. We're not very good at it at all. Yeah. You know, this is why, um, again, there was a a talk at the conference um, uh, by two women I can't remember their last names, but they were Heather and Gemma from uh, Mozilla. Yeah. And they'd worked on the new uh, Firefox Quantum uh, release of their browser. Yeah. You know, there was supposed to be a big speed up and, right. um, you know, a modernization of Firefox. Right. Yeah. I started, um, that's my primary work browser now. I've oh, cool. dumped Chrome unless it's like a Google thing where I need to use Chrome. Um, maybe I'll go back to it. I've been hearing yeah. Chrome is getting better at memory use and CPU use, but Firefox has been great. Um so they talked about the um, kind of perceived performance mm-hmm. um, yeah. that, that people, you know, you, you see things like loading spinners and it kind of makes it a lot less worse than just a blank yeah. blank screen. Um, you know, in your example, seeing something is good, but then you were like frustrated that the, the rest of the web page took so long to load. Yeah. So you've got a bad, you know, it's it's how do all of these things fit together to give you that perception of a fast and, and reliable experience. Right. You know, as soon as things start to slow down or, or don't work, you just start eroding that confidence in from the from the end customer. Yeah. So, you know, that it's not just the impact on that one time visit, you know, where they're trying to use um, you know your website or your service. Yeah, it's then thereafter. You know every single experience is then going to be tarnished, or they may never come back at all. Yeah. Um. You know you talked about being on your flight, and you know yeah. there was a hotel website that you're using, and yeah. you know that wasn't working great. Well, you know on your next flight you might be like, oh well, I remember that that one doesn't load very well. Yeah. I'm going to try another one. Right. And then suddenly they've lost your business. Right. Yeah. So exactly. it's it's really <laughs> important that that consistency is there. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right, well, let's wrap up now, but would you have anything, um, you know, it seems like you, you're excited about performance and, and scalability these days. Would you have any, like, uh, I don't know, a few tips that if you had to kind of simplify a message for developers to, to uh, make sure they're creating, like, performant or uh, happy users, delighted users, and not content or angry users, um, what, uh, like, one or two tips would you share with them? Things to think about. Sure. I mean, if we're talking holistically yeah. and you're looking at, say, a web page, um, you've got to care about everything from the server and client side as well. So every image, every JavaScript file, every CSS file, all of that, all fonts and third-party things that you're including on top, all of that stuff comes together to create the user experience. So mm-hmm. you know that can all have an impact. Um, the main thing is just 
is, is just caring really. Yeah. Um, and you know, not sitting in this this bubble of you know, sat at home. fiber. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You sat at home. You're on your you know quad core or octa core these days. Or right. I don't. I can't keep up with these things. Yeah. Um, you know, sat on these really fast machines loaded with RAM processing power. You know, you're on this fast connection. You, you're having a very different experience. The majority of of end users. Right. Um, you know. Regardless of, of um, what you're building, it's it's really important that you you look at those different situations and, and analyze them. Yeah. Um, so that could be I know Facebook have this thing called Two G Tuesdays. Yeah. Where they literally have a separate Wi-Fi network that's yeah. throttled to two G. Yeah. I um, love that idea. I remember hearing about that. It's 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 great. Just like generating empathy, right? Exactly. Gener- having helping your team, your developers, your company in general, like better foster empathy for the end user um, is great. And that seems like a great way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Also very frustrating. Like, what do you mean you're turning off my, (laughs) not just my four, my three, but you're making me run at like GPRS speeds or whatever it was, GSM speeds. Yeah. Yeah, That must be painful. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us, Ryan. Uh, Thanks everyone. Uh, listening to us online for joining us for another episode of the Codish Podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish Podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.